All right, welcome to First Press. I'm your host, Scott Folkland. Joining us tonight is Shannon Tibbetts, executive assistant, mom extraordinaire, and David Bowie super fan. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so, Shannon, my understanding is that you are bringing us David Bowie's The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Absolutely. What that, was, that was my very favorite uh, Bowie album like the the number one, you know. That's definitely a great pick, I think, of all of Bowie's material. I think it is the album that continues to be influential today as much as it was back in 1972 when it first came out. I Absolutely. Like, and in 72, you know, there was a list of albums at the time that came out, like Neil Young's uh, Harvest was out. Um, the Stones had just issued uh, Exile on Main Street you know, and compared to all those other albums of the time, which were all hugely influential, I, I think Stardust is probably even more so than the rest of them. So tell me... Yeah, about, I'd agree with you on that one. Yeah. Tell me, how did you first become aware of David Bowie? Before we even dive into the album itself, how did, how sure. did David Bowie find his way into your hearts? So when I was real little, we used to listen to BLM. Um, w, uh, what is it? WBLM 102.9 up in Maine. And, um, my dad was a bit of a Bowie fan, not, not huge. Um, but I was sucked into his songs and I could recognize which songs were his from the radio at a very young age. And he would prompt me by saying, Hey Shan, who's this? Um, and I would say, Oh, it's David Bowie. And, and that, that started, I mean, I was probably two, three, I was very young. So I've been a Bowie fan for as long as I can remember. Um, and when I was about, I'd say six or seven, my dad, um, uh, had, I had found his, uh, album of scary monsters and I didn't like, like I listened to it, but I didn't understand it. And I didn't, you know, I was, I was six or seven at the time and I, I couldn't wrap my head around this drawing of this so-called man on the front of this album. And I, I said, that can't possibly be what it look, he looks like. And that fascinated me, just that picture. And um, I remember I was a little bit older, not much older, maybe eight, nine-ish, when the big um, Sound and Vision compilation came out. It was a, uh, three discs. And um, my dad had gotten it for his birthday. And about uh, a day and a half after he got it, it was mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it very, very quickly became mine. Um, and Ziggy was introduced to me right around that time. So I must have been around eight or nine. Um, and the only way I was able to get to sleep at night was to listen to, you know, I had one of those awesome tape players that... Um, it, it didn't even need you to flip the tape around. It did it automatically. And I would just sit there and I would have to have it at the very lowest setting of the volume because my mom would come in and be like, you need to turn that off um, so you can sleep. But I would just listen to that on repeat. And that's how I was introduced to Ziggy. So from there, tell me how you got deeper. What brings you back to Ziggy? What the keeps story. you into that world? Yeah, the story, more than anything, 
um, sucked me in um, and brings me back. So, you know, the entire album, you can't, each song has its own story, which is fascinating to me and part of why I love the album so much. But the album in, in its entirety is an entire story of this star man or the messenger of, uh, of the star men. And it's the story of how Earth is dying, starts off with five years, moves into, um, you know, the story of the star man, rock god, and then his eventual self-destruction. And then, which also leaves you wondering, is this self-fulfilling prophecy? Or, you know, could he see this coming, you know, before it actually happened? Or, I don't know, it's just, it's just the story just fascinates me. And every time I listen to that album, um, even now, I've been listening to it the past week for, you know, on repeat. And even now, I get something different out of it every time. You know, it's funny you say that because I've been listening to it a lot this week in preparation as well. And I have the exact same feeling that every time I listen to it, I find something new, like an instrument I didn't hear, a flourish there, a, a lyric that I may not have necessarily grasped as well as I um, something that pulls me back in. I totally agree with you. Uh, for those who are not necessarily familiar with this story, can you kind of give us a quick rundown of the story of Ziggy Stardust? Sure. So uh, the first song is Five Years, and it's about the uh, the world realizing that they only have, you know, the earth will die in five years. I mean, there's only five years left to live. Um, and uh, each song kind of tells a little bit um, more of the story. So then we move into Soul Love, which is um, kind, kind of talking about the different types of love and the destructiveness of them. Um, and then Moon Age Daydream comes and you kind of hear the first foray of, of Ziggy singing. Um, and he's this alien creature, this other that is just right out of, out of this world, right? Coming down and um, becoming a rock god, really. Um, star and Starman, uh, both Ziggy anthems that discuss how, um, you know, he is this rock god, and, and um, I don't, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even think, <laughs> but it's, it just, every song moves on a little bit further. Um, another great one is Lady Stardust, which is, when I was a child, I actually thought that Lady Stardust was about Ziggy himself and i didn't realize until much later it's about um um mark bolan um from t-rex t-rex thank you (laughs) (laughs) so mark bolan from t-rex and um i didn't it didn't make that connection so it's it's about mark bolan but you can also kind of see how this otherness this other uh out of this worldness of ziggy um, is portrayed in this song as this man woman, you know, you can't, he's a, he's a guy in bright blue jeans who gets up on the stage, but he's also called Lady Stardust. How do you fit that together? You know, um, it just kind of plays along with this other role, this otherness that was so Bowie and so Ziggy. So then, you know, the, the, the album moves along, there's Suffragette City, which is, um, 
another great one, kind of a deviant song about, um, you know, going to the suffragette city and and picking up girls, basically. (laughs) Um, But then it concludes with the most desperate, um, poignant ballad, rock ballad that I think I've ever heard in my life. And every time I hear it is just a moment. You know, you have to pause and you have to really listen to it in its entirety is rock and roll suicide. And that one specifically tells the story of the death of Ziggy and how it was a self-destructing phenomenon for him to be this alien creature who comes down and uh, becomes a rock god, but then gets too successful and kills himself off, basically. But that song in particular, all throughout my teenage years and younger uh, adult life, um, anytime you hear him scream, give me your hands, you know, you're not alone, you know, all of that. You can just, you can feel the desperation. You can feel the... um, the poignancy of that, you know, you, you can make that connection anytime you listen to it. Ziggy's got a lot of heavy themes and thoughts in the album. Do you feel like, and they're very deep, especially for a young person coming into their own as their own person. Do you feel like some of that helped you become the adult that you are today? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, it can suck you in and depending on your own mood, it can either pull you down further, um, which I have felt myself, um, but it can also lift you up. Um, you know, seeing somebody out there who is telling you that they are out of this world, that they are this other being, um, this alien thing, makes you feel like you're not so weird after all, you know. Um, and any teenager can tell you that they feel weird. They feel different no matter what. So it was such a connecting album to, to be going through that time of life. Even when I was eight or nine, I felt different because I was the only one of my crowd that listened to David Bowie or even knew who he was. Um, so it was amazing to be able to connect to this thing on this album, you know, Um, and at the time, you know, when I was real little, you know, I I believed he was Ziggy. I didn't understand that David Jones was then David Bowie was then portraying Ziggy. You know, I just saw Ziggy as this amazing thing that made me feel not so, not so bad, not so weird. Um, so I think it, uh, it definitely helped shape exactly who I am. Do you think that the story of Ziggy Stardust starts and ends with that record? Or do you think it carries on into the next record, Aladdin Zane? uh, The next album is, you know, the direct consequence of Ziggy going to America. You can piece out exactly, you know, you, you see not only, so you bring up a really good point. So the Ziggy album was written in a, you know, in a studio with you know, Mick Ronson and and everybody there. Um, And then you hear, if you listen to Aladdin Sane, you hear the influences of all the places that Ziggy or the Spiders or David Bowie or 
whatever you want to call them, um, has gone and all the things that they've seen and been through. Um, you know, you, you can, you don't, it's raw, is much more raw than Ziggy. And, but it's still Ziggy. Um, and I think a lot, a, a lot of that has to actually do with Mick Ronson too. I think the two of them together, David Bowie and Mick Ronson were just amazing together. But absolutely the, the Bowie or the uh, Ziggy phase really continues on through Aladdin saying he tried to deviate and, and pull himself back with pinups. And then by, you know, by that point he was, Ziggy was no more, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't end with Ziggy at all. You know, it's funny. I've been, uh, especially today as a, in preparation, I've listened to Ziggy and Aladdin back to back and I liked the, the pomp and circumstance of Ziggy, but Aladdin kind of freaked me out a little bit that it is dark. It is very dark. Yep. That, um, you know, Ziggy in America was not necessarily a warm, fuzzy thing at all that it, it almost kind of turned everything on its head. Yep. And I started to listen to that album. I probably discovered that when I was, you know, 13 or so. This is obviously the, this is before the days of Google and when information was right in your face that there's this other album that you, it's pretty cool. Um, so I was probably around 12, 13-ish when I discovered Aladdin Sane. And it just is so bizarre. Um, it's almost menacing. It is menacing. Yes, that's a great word for it. Um, I think it, it always, I always bring up, um, it brings to, to mind Drive-In Saturday and um, all those different songs on there that are very um, punchy. And just different. And, and it really captures exactly how good David Bowie was with picking and choosing different aspects of different artists and putting them all together. So on Ziggy and on Aladdin Sane, Mick Ronson was crucial. But more on Aladdin Sane, um, Mike Garson was introduced. He was and the uh, he, keyboardist, right? Pianist, yes. Yeah. He he was actually Bowie's uh, longest running band member, but he just, I mean, just time, right. That the, uh, the song time would not have been like that. Had it not for, for and I feel like that's the most menacing track on there. Like it just, it pulls you in these different directions. It's. Yeah. And it's each song. You can almost, you can almost see it in your mind. Um, that the time, especially, it's almost like a a foray into the theatrical. Um, you can picture him um, acting it out, even if you're just listening to it. Mm. Uh, and the way that Mike Garson plays the piano is just—he's oh, just incredible. I think Ziggy, especially, is very cinematic in that you can. Yeah put your headphones on, you can close your eyes and you can see the album unfold for your yes. eyes. It just happens. It's very, there should be a movie. <laughs> why it isn't. I don't know. You would think it would be by now. Well, I mean, we kind of got that with uh, the man that yeah. fell to earth. And the, actually the, um, 
the documentary, um, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, the uh, documentary of the tour. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one, but that is fantastic. Um, one of the, you know, I probably discovered that one when I was about 14 or so. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe my parents are letting me watch this. <laughs> <laughs> because it was just, I just got so sucked into that. It was just so cool to see the backstage part of this amazing character. Um, you know, seeing David Bowie doing his own makeup and, um, you know, hearing them talk instead of, you know, performing was just, it was so cool. What I like about your story is that your, your dad brings you in and you guys talk about it and he plays the quiz game with you, which my, my mom used to do with me also to WBLM. That was, uh, the only <laughs> radio station that existed in my household. Right. Um, <laughs> Do you play those games with your kids now? Are you in introducing them slowly to David? Uh, no, not slowly. Not at all slowly. <laughs> um, in fact, the other day we were in the car and one of my sons actually stopped and said, Mom, we always have to listen to David Bowie when we're in the car with you. Do you think we could listen to my playlist? <laughs> and, um, but it just happened to be on Bowie Weekend. Um, so I was like, no, no. yeah, I'm like, no, 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 I'm sorry. It's not going to happen, but, um, maybe next weekend, (laughs) but no, I try, I try really hard to, to give them a diverse amount of music. I'm sure you do the same. Oh, absolutely. I, that was the, the one thing about being a Bowie fan to me is not getting entrenched into one type of music. I love every type of music. The only exception would be probably heavy metal, like, like scream metal, mm-hmm. death metal, I guess, whatever it is. I can't, I can't get into that. Um, but I can, I can listen to just about anything and really appreciate it. And it's because of all the different paths that Bowie took. Um, you can, you can, you know, if you can appreciate all the different places he took you, then you can appreciate all the different genres that there are. Where else has Bowie taken you on your lifelong journey? Well, let me tell you. Because <laughs> so, you've been, I mean, not just musically, you've been other places in the world because of your Bowie fandom. Yes. So actually, you bring up a really good point. So I grew up in Maine and um, was obviously a huge Bowie fan, was big into music. So I was in the band and the chorus and my God, when I was a young kid, I was going to be Bowie, right? I was going to be the next Bowie. And, um, you know, I talked a little sense into myself by the, by senior year of high school, but um, I wound up wanting more than anything to be a music teacher. Um, And I went to St. Olaf College in Minnesota. And um, when I got there, I realized that that wasn't a hobby for anybody there. Like they were hardcore musicians hardcore musicians and I knew at that moment that that would have killed my love of music that much studying and at that moment in my life right so I feel like if I had been there 10 years later I would have been more mature and probably would have loved it um 
But at that moment in my life, all I wanted to do was jump on stage and sing. Um, I didn't want to have to study and do the work. <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> um, so I completely changed courses at that point. But yeah, I mean, I don't think I would have, I, I don't know that I would have even ventured far away from Maine or New England at all in my life had I not had the, um, you know, when you listen to Bowie, it's, it's the diversity that you're listening to. You know there's a bigger world out there. And I, if I hadn't heard it, I wouldn't have known about it, you know? That's awesome. That's For somebody who is young and impressionable and looking for that new earworm to help them get through whatever it is that they're trying to get through, where should they start with the Bowie catalog? It's so deep and intimidating. You think yeah, Ziggy is yeah. where people start? I think that's the uh, gateway drug for sure. It's not only easy listening, but it's, um, it, you know, you can listen to it on the surface and still love it without getting deep into it, you know? Um, and if you want to get deep into it, you can. Um, it really all depends on, on moods mm -hmm. and where you are in your life. Um, I remember I'm going to tell you a little bit of a deep story here, but um, one of my daughters was going through a rough time without getting into too much detail. We, you know, we were driving and I threw on low um, and she, it was one of the instrumental tracks, I believe it was Warsawa, um, but she loved it. And she sat there and listened to it, and she actually let it hit her in a way that helped. So, you know, I guess it all depends on what you're going through, but there's so many different things you can start with, really, with Bowie. But I would, I would say gateway drug, Ziggy. That's incredible, that part about your daughter and that she invited it in. and. Mm -hmm kind of soaked it up. And I, I think that that's, that's incredible. I, I love that when that happens, when it, you don't yeah. expect it to happen when you're just, you know, whether you're driving or you're, you know, for me, right. I'm sitting at home with just my headphones on and reading the paper and then something just comes out of nowhere and it just bam hits you like a truck. Like, Oh my God, what is this? And then, mm -hmm. you know, that's powerful. And I, yeah. I love that you've had that experience with Bowie as young and now your daughter had a Bowie moment too. And that maybe right. sometime in the future, she'll start inviting more of that in. Maybe, right, exactly. maybe not right now because it's not cool. Right. It's so not cool. <laughs> it's not and cool. even at the time, I feel like if I had said, Hey, would you like to listen to this one track by David Bowie? She would have like, you know, flipped me off, but <laughs> right. I just, I didn't give her a choice. I just put it on, <laughs> but it's crazy how much it helps. Just something like that. Just a connection. It doesn't matter who it's with, you know? So my gateway into David Bowie myself, I grew up with neighbors that, um, uh, had a computer that had the internet, which of course was the thing. I and mean, my parents were, you were fancy neighbors. <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah. We, we didn't have the internet at my house. So the, the, the trading was that I would babysit their, their daughter and 
they would let me use the computer and go online and do all that stuff. My neighbor, Jerry, had uh, a small selection of CDs. And I remember when an order came in that one of them was the um, a, a double CD of Bowie, the singles. Uh, and yeah. I knew Under Pressure and I knew Changes, but I didn't know anything else. And he was like, oh, you love this. You got to put this on. And we put it on. And <laughs> the first disc, it was like, bam, like my eyes and ears just what is this? And I think it was life on Mars that really hit me first. I think that was my gateway drug into Bowie. And Mm -hmm. that, that starts off with the nice piano and then kicks in with the, the string section. And then the, the banging of the drums. Like it's uh, like, for me, it's like a perfect song. Like it's got all of the elements. Beautiful song. That one, the arrangement is amazing. Um, the P- yeah, it just it crescendos and dies off, and it just what a it's a gorgeous song. It it's incredible, and uh, Rick Wakeman played the keys on that, which I thought was really cool. I didn't yes. know that until just recently. And yes, once exactly. you hear it, you're like, oh, obviously that's him. But you know, you know what's cool? So just last weekend, obviously it was Bowie weekend. I uh, was watching the Bowie celebration just for one day um, reunion uh, celebration. So it's, it's a bunch of his former musicians that played with him, but then they had different vocalists, different um, actually Duran Duran did um, five years. Fantastic cover, fantastic cover. But anyway, uh, they had oh, Wakeman do um, the original piano on life on mars oh wow yeah so they brought him in and they had young blood do the um the vocals which was a such a cool thing to do this young kid from london and i've actually never really listened to his music i've i've um i need to start listening to some of his stuff because he just he was fantastic so bowie like lives in your car lives in your headphones he even influences sometimes what you're wearing. He's even influenced Absolutely. your fashion sense. Absolutely. I mean, that's a whole other side of Bowie, really, right? Um, he wasn't just about the sound, but the vision as well. That's right. Especially after he died. I will say um, one thing that I'm slightly ashamed of, and I know I shouldn't be because you can't really turn back time and relive it, but I kind of I hid my Bowie-ness for a while. I did that because I was supposed to be an adult and I was supposed to be raising kids and having a real job. And you know what I mean? Like it just normal life was supposed to be happening. And, and I sometimes wish that I had let my Bowie flag fly a little bit um, more than I had. But when he passed, I said, screw that, you know, um, there's no going back. I'm so glad I got to see him in per in, in, you know, on tour, but once he passed, I decided that I wouldn't care so much about what other people thought. Um, and so, you know, it goes from the little things. So I have one of my favorite sweaters that I wear to work sometimes has black stars all over it because of Bowie's Black Star album. And um, to the outrageous, I have an entire Bowie outfit that I'm planning on wearing to the Bowie celebration when it comes to New Hampshire, 
Um, this was something that was supposed to happen last March, but got canceled, obviously, because of the Rona. But, you know, I have my Bowie earrings. I have glitter. Oh, so much glitter. So much glitter eye, eye stuff. You know, a Bowie. Um, oh, my gosh. I've got these huge um, Bowie patches that I'm going to put all over a some sort of a shirt. I'm going to find a shirt and I'll sew it on there. I've got lightning bolts and all this stuff. And I've got ripped jeans that are going to go with it. And these horribly sparkly boots <laughs> that are just fantastic. And, oh, my God, I cannot wait. <laughs> I think it's great that... I was... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I, I was even thinking of dyeing my hair, like, bright red. But then I know my husband wouldn't go with me. <laughs> I think that's great that you make that point about letting your Bowie flag out more. And I don't want to say ashamed because I don't think that that's the right word, but I feel like you took a direct lesson from Bowie himself because he didn't give a damn what people thought. He didn't, right. he wore what he wanted to wear. Like and he was fabulous. He, he didn't care if it was a Japanese kimono or a, a dress. Like he just, he, Bowie For... was always Bowie. Yeah, the fantastic lime green suit from the early 90s. Oh. <laughs> I mean, him with his tan, his tan skin and that lime green suit was just like <laughs> beautiful. Where were you when Bowie passed and how did you handle that? Oh, that was so tough. Because when we lose somebody like Bowie, you know, someone musical... You know, some folks don't understand, but sometimes we just get so attached that it's like they're a part of the family, that their music lives with us and that they go through the same tumultuous times that we go through. And, you know, yeah. they, they get us through the good times. They make the better times better. Like when I was young, I would say I don't understand why. Like you'd see footage of, of the slaying of John Lennon and people crying and being upset. And I would just look at it and be like. I don't understand. You don't know him. He's not your person. But as an adult, I totally get it. So I was very curious about how you handled that, being such a fan of Bowie. I was in such shock, as I believe most people were, because only a very few people knew he was even ill. And how it happened, oddly enough, um, my cousin had just had a baby. So she was up all night nursing. And uh, she had sent me a text at three in the morning and said, oh, I am so sorry. I just heard the news about David. And she and I, what you have to understand is that she and I like exchange Christmas cards and we get together at family reunions and we laugh about old times. That's about it. <laughs> so to get a text from her at all was amazing. So I saw this and I'm, I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? You know, this now it was like six in the morning when I woke up. I had no idea. So I text her back, you know, what, what are you talking about? She goes, I just heard that I, I heard that David Bowie passed. And I was like, immediate shock. And not only did I have to hold it together to kind of normalize, I didn't, you know, you, you don't want your mom going into hysterics over this person that they didn't know. It's kind of like the Lennon experience for you. Um, it was also my daughter's birthday. Oh. So here I am. It's their birthday morning. And my mom happened to be over uh, for the weekend. So she was there. And 
um, we had the news going and I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of my own way. Like here I was trying to get them ready for school and, and everything. And I just, I just stood in front of the TV, just in disbelief. Like I couldn't move. And, um, it was earth shattering for me. It was, it was life changing. And I remember a few days after thinking exactly what you were talking about. You know, why am I so affected by this when I didn't know this person? Nobody really knew him, right? Maybe his family and very, very close friends. Um, so it, it, it was just so busy. It was this weird dichotomy of I am shocked beyond belief. I am heartbroken beyond belief. And then on the other side, I'm thinking my logical part of my brain is thinking, why are you grieving this? This is, you know, it's not, it, it's nobody you knew, but it was, <laughs> you know, it was, he was there from the beginning of my life. So it's just this crazy, crazy thing. But thankfully he didn't die. He went to Mars. That's what I say. And he left us, you know, a pretty good parting gift with, with black. Star. He absolutely did. Okay. Absolutely. No, it was, it was an amazing record. Um, it actually took me probably about a month before I could actually listen to it. Um, and then when I did, I broke down because the opening line is look at me, I'm in heaven. And, Oh, <laughs> that's a gut like, punch right there. Yeah. Stake through the heart. Like <laughs> it was awful. And I just last week saw his uh, musical. I can't even call it a musical. It's not a musical. It's music theater. Um, so I saw the play Lazarus um, last weekend. They were streaming the original New York cast um, production of it. And that was weird. That was weird. <laughs> I give the man so much credit. So, I mean, he's been like, you know, love Bowie, but that was bizarre. Like I sat there and was like, what? what? I don't, I don't understand what just happened. What is, what is going on? <laughs> but it was, it was really cool. And that was like his big baby at the very end. You know, that's all he wanted to do was that play. And that's so cool that he got to do it and he got to finish it. And he saw the um, opening day and uh, all, you know, all of that. It's so cool that, you know, that one thing that you have on your bucket list and you get to do it. So one thing I wanted to say, uh, and I said it pretty much already, but there's one really poignant time when, uh, the, when I was younger and I saw this clip of Bowie introducing, um, I think it was the Grammy for the best female artist or something, something like that. It was an important one, important Grammy. It was the 1975 Grammys. And he comes out on stage and he says, ladies, gentlemen, and others. And that one word completely like just blew my mind. I'm like, others, what do you mean others? And it tied so perfectly into this idea of Ziggy and uh, the Superman and all of that, you know, they're really just tied everything together. 
with a little bow in 1975. And then the other incredible moment that so many people saw and it blew so many people's minds was the 72 uh, Top of the Pops performance when they first performed Starman. There were two moments. The first one was when he pointed to the camera, um, broke that fourth wall. It was amazing. (laughs) Uh, I mean, he pulled you in and just... uh, He was commanding you to pay attention. Look at you. Yes. It was so perfect. And then the other one that caused so much ruckus um, and, again, blew so many minds was when he simply put his arm around Mick Ronson. You know, it, it took just that one little gesture and it freaked people out. I like that Bowie, he he really wanted to be inclusive of everybody mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, anybody can be a Bowie fan and it doesn't matter if you're businessman making millions or you're just some scrawny 12 year old kid on the street like Bowie is for everybody and there's if you look hard enough there's something there for everybody and Bowie welcomed everybody not everyone wanted to come right but they (laughs) not everyone wanted to be a part of that party but he he not only welcomed everybody but he had the business sense to understand that he should welcome everybody you know what i mean like he knew he was smart about that he was like well yeah i could be this curly haired 12 string guitar player um and i could probably grow and and do more things but wow look what they're doing i'm going to incorporate that and he just knew how to draw the draw the attention to himself um brilliant just brilliant so ziggy's your gateway aladdin zane kind of carries you on that ride what Bowie do you find yourself listening to now as an adult more often than not? Like, what's your go-to? Oh, there's one song that's actually three separate songs but played together um, from Diamond Dogs. Diamond Dogs is just an amazing album that is dark, dirty, and gorgeous all in one. But it's a Sweet Thing candidate, Sweet Thing reprise. If you haven't listened to it, sit down, close your eyes, and listen to it. It's amazing. I really do need to put that one on again, because I've listened to it a couple of times, and I I struggled getting into it. Well, we could go on for hours about all of this, but uh, we do have to wrap it up. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on First Press with Scott Folkland. Be sure to subscribe to First Press on your favorite podcast app so you can keep up to date as new episodes come out. Please consider leaving a review. Again, thanks for listening and stay tuned. We've got more coming your way.